Welcome. Good morning. You know, uh, Doug said eight days until Christmas. And uh, yeah, what was that number I came up with? I was, what's, what's 352 plus eight? Until the next Christmas. Isn't that cool? Yeah, very exciting. Well, if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to welcome you. And uh, my name is Rich and one of the pastors here. I'm the family pastor. And we're uh, glad that you can uh, spend uh, your morning here with us. We're in our third week of our Christmas uh, series, and uh, we've really been enjoying it. You know, the season itself, the Christmas season, it seems to bring us many things that uh, kind of bring up emotions within our hearts. And there's nothing more beautiful than listening to the songs and the sounds of the holiday. And one of the songs that transcends time has been the song, Oh, Holy night. And even though this song has been a song that, that all of us have sung many times and we've heard many times on the radio or, or at church and in different renditions, very few people realize or know the history of the song itself. Now, the last two weeks of, Chris, of our Christmas series, it's been fun to kind of explore and dig into a little bit to, the, to these Christmas carols and some of the history and the meaning, some of the theology that is, is packed into our favorite Christmas carols. Pastor Nick, a couple of weeks ago, walked us through the theologically rich carol, Hark the Herald, Angel. And then last week, Pastor Chris looked at the, uh, the carol, Go Tell It on the Mountain. And what it meant in our lives to be a, like a watchman and to inspire us to proclaim the simplicity of the Christmas story and to help people think and see Jesus. And then, as we talked about already on Christmas Eve, uh, we're looking so forward to it, and we hope that uh, most of you can make it if you're not out of town uh, visiting a family. But uh, Pastor Chris is going to finish up our series with the, Christmas, with the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. I don't think you're going to want to miss it. So, Now, as for O Holy Night... As I said, very few people realize or know the history of the song itself and the significance of the history and how this song specifically launched a technological revolution that changed the way that we communicate and the way that we listen to music. So I was able to patch together the story of this song through uh, many resources and, and found some retellings that I like. And I was encouraged by other sources that I read that helped me directly uh, phrase out parts of this message and help me capture the spirit and the thrust and the meaning behind this song. So um, before we get started here, let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning. For the truth of your word, we thank you for this season of Christmas that just brings us back to uh, remembering you sending your son, Jesus, to be born a man, that he might come to, to save us, to die on a cross and raise from the dead. Lord, may we hear what you want us to hear this morning. May, as we look at um, what you say about us, how you feel about us, and the truth that you speak over us. May we take those things to heart. May we believe them. May we act upon them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This strange and fascinating story of O Holy Night, it began in France in 1847. And there's this little town in France, and a, uh, there was a priest there. And he needed to come up with something special for the Christmas Eve service. That was because they had just recently completed a renovation of their, of their parish. 
And so he approached a man that he knew was a friend of his from his youth. And this man was a commissioner of wines. I guess you can be a commissioner of wines. And he, but he was also a poet in this tiny little French town. And so he approached this poet and he said, and asked him to write a poem that would be able to be uh, recited, that would be able to depict the story of Jesus on this special night that they were going to have um, at their parish. And so the poet went back to his history of growing up as a child in the Catholic Church, and he knew that the poem had to be religious in nature, of course, but he himself was struggling with his faith. And so he went back to the Gospel of Luke, and he he reread the story of Jesus coming into this world, and it was through the retelling of Luke's writings that this poet, Placide Kapow, that penned the words of a song that we sing today. And so it was on a long, dusty ride uh, to Paris in the back of a stagecoach that this guy named Kapow penned the words to this beautiful song, O Holy Night. And so when he arrived in Paris, he knew that this poem would not be complete without music being played behind it. And so he himself, he wasn't a composer, but he knew exactly who to turn to. One of his best friends was a Jewish composer who himself was not a believer in the Christmas story. But when his friend, the Jewish composer, read the lyrics to this poem, even though this poem was about a man that he didn't refer to as his savior, or about a holiday that he himself didn't celebrate, the words of that song touched him so much that he composed a beautiful, original score to these powerful words. It was this Jewish composer, Adolphe Adam, that first put music to the words, O Holy Night. So three weeks later, the song, O Holy Night, was first sung at a midnight mass on Christmas Eve. And the song became an immediate hit, and people were singing it, uh, and they loved it. And everywhere they took this home with them, they began to tell their neighbors, and they began singing this all throughout the town. Now, years later, the French poet Capel had left the Catholic Church, and he joined the socialist movement. And so the Catholic Church, they became aware of this, and they also became aware that the song itself that was composed was written by uh, or was composed by a Jewish composer. So you have the words uh, uh, or this poem written by an apostate and then composed by a Jewish composer. And immediately, you know what they did? They banned the song from being sung all over France. But it was too late because families all over were spreading the words to, Oh, holy night. Now, a short time later, a man by the name of John Sullivan Dwight who was a graduate of Harvard Divinity School, and he became a Unitarian minister. You see, he would research songs from all over the world and musicians all over the northeast of the United States. They would eagerly anticipate uh, getting these songs so that they can play them in their churches and at church services. And yet it was in his research that he came across this song, O Holy Night from France, that years before had been banned by the Catholic Church. And so he translated it into English to the version that we sing today. And it was the lyrics of the song that really touched his heart. He identified himself as a dedicated abolitionist, and he refused to accept slavery as an option for people in America. And it was the lyrics of this song when saying that, quote, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break. For the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. 
that he connected to these words. And it was a song that, that uh, was sung in the abolitionist movement. And it became a favorite there. So not only were uh, this work being done to free slaves, but the gospel was going out as this was one of the songs that was sung. So let's fast forward a few years. The story continues. A 33-year-old college professor and former chief uh, chemist to Thomas Edison, Reginald Fessenden, he was in his office one evening experimenting with a microphone and a telegraph. And he wasn't sure if anything was getting through. See, on Christmas in 1906, Christmas Eve, for the first time ever, a man's voice was broadcast over radio waves. And so what he did is he picked up his Bible and he read the words of Luke chapter 2. And after he read the story of Jesus coming into this world, he picked up his violin and he played the song, O Holy Night, which became the very first song ever heard or broadcast over radio waves. I don't know if you can imagine that uh, at that time, you know, the only thing that these ship's uh, communication officers heard was a tap, 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 dot, 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 as they're trying to, as they uh, uh, take that information and turn it into words. But now they hear this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. And so the gospel, the very first spoken words over the radio was the gospel. And not only that, it was a song that was sung. At this point now, it was a, became a famous song that became the first song ever heard over radio waves that declared the worth of humanity, that declared the value of people that said, chains shall he break. So when you hear this Christmas song this Christmas, I want you to think about this. The song was requested by a French priest. The words were written by a poet who ended up leaving the church The music that we hear was written by a Jewish composer who didn't believe the story or celebrate the holiday. It was brought to America by a Unitarian pastor to expose the gospel's view on modern day slavery. And it was the first song ever broadcast over radio waves. It's a pretty crazy story. Only God could use a song that depicts the night that changed the course of history to accomplish all of this. It's a great great story. It's really interesting how God uses so many pieces in our life to to bring us to him. Uh, maybe not another Christian, but somebody who knows about Christ and is charged to write a poem. And, and here we are sitting today, and a little bit later, we're going to sing this song. And it's brought many people uh, unto him. So now, before we go any further, can I admit something to you? I need to admit this here. Um, I tear up practically every time I hear this Christmas carol. I don't know what it is, but it, it gets me. For some reason, the, the, the words really resonate uh, with me. And the response of this song is he, you know, de- declaring humanity's worth. The response is, fall on your knees. Behold your king before him lowly bend. With all our hearts, we praise his holy name, Christ the Lord, and on and on it goes. And I just, you know, I'm driving down the road. The song comes on the, the radio. The tears start flowing. People look and, you know, thinking I'm having a bad day. I'm having a great day and uh, responding to the Lord. But um, it, it does. It gets me every time. And uh, it did the first uh, service, too. So I'll turn around when I sing and I won't bother you with that. So 
Anyways, but uh, I'm not going to attempt to walk us through the entire song. I'm mostly going to, to hang out in the first verse. And, uh, but why don't we quickly kind of look at the three uh, verses. Take a look at your bulletin. We have the three different verses there, the three different stanzas, if you want. And the entire song itself, it's, uh, the three verses can be broken up as the first one kind of being a view from above uh, with a description of the sinful world in need of a savior. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And then the second stanza, you can see the words there about the cradle and the manger and stuff. And so it's a, it's a view from the manger, giving us some attributes of Christ, the friendship he offers, and his ability to identify with us as he was God wrapped in flesh. It says, in all our trials, born to be our friends. See, he knows our need and our weakness is no stranger. In John 1, 14, it says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we know that Jesus experienced life. And so this song tells us that, that he was here, that he experienced the things that we experience. He came across uh, uh, oppression. He came across different people who did not understand him. And so God becoming flesh enables to make us make that personal connection with him. The third verse is a view from our lives. And it charges us to live in a way that is holy and it's pleasing to God. It says this, Truly he taught us to love one another, his law is love, and his gospel is peace. And this reminds us of John thirteen thirty five, which says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, right? If you have love for one another. And so this is looking at our lives and what he's charging us uh, to do. All right, let's get back to the first verse here. And uh, although there's a, lots of wonderful truths laced through this entire song, when I read the, the, through the verses and when I sing this song, there are four words that I can't get past that hit me, that resonates with me. And I think these are the words that begin that, that process in me where I begin to, you know, where it gets me, where I begin to get a little em- emotional. And the words are this, and the soul felt its worth. The soul felt its worth. So walk with me through this uh, first verse of the song. And uh, the verse is uh, up there on the screen for you. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night, not just any night, but it is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pinning. So the first thing we see is that it's, it's a holy night. And what does holy mean? Holy means that to be set apart. And certainly there had never been no other night like this. This was one and only time that Jesus would be born on this night. And it was holy, meaning it was set apart for something special. And in the first stanza, he invites us to imagine this world and to see this world before the birth of Christ. It's a world that, quote, lay in sin and error pining. And so the world, the creation Humanity was struggling. It was pining, which refers to wasting away, trying to get someplace, a world that is trapped, that can't get to where it needs to get to, reaching for something that it cannot obtain. And this started back in Genesis chapter 3 with uh, Adam's sin, of course, long before Jesus was born. And so this is a world that he's describing that is in basically in this place of, of, of spiritual darkness, without the light of Christ, a world that is in despair, a world that doesn't really have hope. They've heard things, but they're in a place that where they, like I said, is trapped 
and pining. But then comes the next three words. Till he appeared. And when he appeared, everything changed. And that's exactly why Jesus came. He came to change the world, to reconcile the world back to himself, to purchase us back, to rescue us. The long-awaited Savior finally had come. And when he appeared, something drastically changed with humanity. And the soul, this is what happened. Our souls felt its worth. And to me, these are the most powerful words uh, of this song. And we're going to camp there in just a moment. But let's kind of continue that first verse. The feeling that came out of this in this song is a thrill of hope. The weary world, speaking once again of how weary the world, it started to begin to rejoice. Romans chapter 8, which speaks of the future glory uh, of, of mankind and of the world and describes this weary world. In verse 22, it says this, For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And then the verse goes on, for, or the song goes on, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. And so this is that, uh, a saying that we've heard many times, this is the dawn, or this is the dawning of a new day. See, things have changed dramatically here. Not just a baby being born in a manger, but this is a reinvitation, a redefinition of what it means to be human. And what is the response? The response is this, fall on your knees. Oh, here the angels' voices. And of course, our response when we hear this should be worship. Philippians 2, 10 through 11 says, tells us, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's what is beginning to be proclaimed here. Our worship, our response to him, that Jesus Christ, our Lord, has been born. He has come. And then, of course, it goes on. And on and on. So in our short message today, I wanted to kind of, I wanted us to really think a little bit about these four words. And so we're going to dive into it. And um, the words are, the soul felt its worth. And if you've sung this song, which many of you have, and we'll sing it again here today, or if you heard it, and if you spent any time kind of thinking through these words, some of what you are singing, which is difficult to do. We sing Christmas carols, I mean, from what? November, when's when's Thanksgiving? The 20, help me. Whatever Thanksgiving is, the day after, right? We start singing Christmas carols. They're on the radio. Our kids sing them. We come to church and we sing them. And if you're like me or if you're as young as I am, you've been singing them for many, many, many years. And they're just very familiar to you. And sometimes we we do, do not stop and try to think about what some of these words have to say. So, They're so familiar. And it's in this case here, we're looking at that your soul has worth or felt its worth. And you might have, when you hear those words, you might have a couple of different responses. The first one might be, hey, that's great. This is awesome. Thank you, Lord. You know what? My soul right now, my soul does feel worth. It feels like I have worth before you. Or maybe you don't really believe that you have worth. You sing those words and you hear those words. You might think something, well, you know, some people have worth, but, you know, not, not really me. I mean, if you, if you really knew me, if you really knew the things in my head, the things that I say, the things that I think, 
God, do you know what, what I've done? Do you know my actions? Do you, do, I know you do. I don't, I don't feel your worth. And I think if we were honest, you know, maybe we would kind of at times be between both of those things. Sometimes maybe we, we feel some worth, but maybe many times uh, we don't. But how does that resonate with you? Do you feel your worth to God? Do you feel that? I think that, uh, you know, simply as humans, that a lot of us struggle with this idea of having worth. Uh, we just live in a world that is, that is kind of crazy, and uh, uh, we have things that occur in our lives that maybe perhaps push us against feeling like we, we do have worth and I think it comes from a couple of places, a couple of false places that keep us from believing the words of this song and, and the truth of the gospel that we indeed are people that have worth. The first is this. You know, we've learned to listen to a story that has been crafted as we have grown up that is often is false. And whether we would want to admit this or not, you know, we have... Um, you know, a, a, a tape player or a digital files, it's, it's 2017, uh, packed in our brain, you know, where we, we have all these voices. It's like we have this library of information. And you and I have things that, that people have said to us that just come out of nowhere and just play. Uh, and they play just at the right time when we're down a little bit. Or somebody says something, a truth about us, but no, you don't, you don't know. And we hear those voices. And it can be something that somebody very, very close to you have said. You know, for some of us, it might be a mom or a dad that for whatever reason, they just were not able to um, articulate encouragement. Or maybe they were some of the time, but, but maybe they kind of spew out, they, they encourage you, but they spewed out some things that, that really puts you down. Or maybe it was a, a teacher or a brother or a sister. And you heard words like, you know, you're not very good, you know, that, or you're not good enough, or you're ugly, or, you know, you're not very smart. Why do you do that? Stop doing that. You idiot. And this is messages that we hear in our minds. We have these storylines that we carry with us. And so when we hear something like, and, and the soul felt its worth, a lot of us, when we hear that go, I just don't know if that can be true about me. I don't know. It's really difficult for me to, to believe that. And that might be where you are this morning. A false story about you. Something that plays in your mind. Something that you've been told and, and you believe on this, this, this certain level. It may even be a heart level. Your head says, no, that can't be true. I know it's not true. But on a heart level, in the background, there's this tape playing, this music playing, this the, telling you that, no, no, you're not really that good. And we don't understand why we feel that way. We don't understand why we react sometimes. We don't understand why we don't believe in our, ourselves and where we struggle in certain areas of our life. The second thing is that the understanding of worth kind of gets mixed up, okay? And we might be a little bit off on how we view and understand what worth is and therefore then our view of God. So this is what it looks like. There's a difference between having worth 
and being worthy. All right? A difference between having worth and being worthy. So we know in, in the scriptures, uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and in verse 10, that there is none righteous, no, not one. And so we hear those verses. We know those verses. And so what's that mean? You and I are unworthy. Okay? In that context, worthy simply means that you're deserving so according to these scriptures, we are undeserving. Now, this is what's important to hear. Worthy is not the same as worth. Because as clear as the scriptures tell us that we are unworthy, that we've fallen short of the glory of God, there is another side to this whole story. And that is that God declares clearly without any question that humanity has worth, that you and I have worth to make this more personal. And this worth is, is, is deep, and it's wide, and it's complete. See, what happens is we tie those two things together. We think they mean the same thing here. We equate being worthy with having worth. We say we're not worthy, so that means that, what? We don't have worth. And, and what I want to communicate to you this morning, that that is a lie from the pit of hell. You have worth. God sees you. What he has done for you is that you have worth. John 10.10, 10, the very first part of John 10.10, 10, talks about Satan and, his, and, and what he does. He says that, it's, that he is a thief. He comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. And also in John in 844, the Bible tells us that he is a liar, that he is the father of lies. And that's what he speaks to us, that you don't have worth. But the last part of John chapter 10 here, verse 10, first part, we heard that the second part, Jesus says, I came that you might have life. And that means that you have worth. He came and that speaks of the worth that he has for us. Now, of course, the enemy would love to keep speaking lots of bad things and keep us thinking that we have no worth. And he just loves pushing those buttons that start the player uh, in our mind uh, of those lies. So it plays and, and tells you that you don't have worth because you're not worthy. I mean, what is the truth of the gospel? The message of the gospel is the message that although you are unworthy, although I am unworthy, he deems you as having unending value and worth. And he proves that the whole Christmas story, everything we talk about here that we celebrate, says that his life is given to us. He's entered into our story, living and dying and taking our sin upon himself and conquering death through his resurrection. That makes us worthy and gives us worth. You cannot read and you cannot hear the Christmas story and not come to the conclusion that in the eyes of God, humanity has deep worth and value. When Placide Kapow writes, and the soul felt its worth, what he's doing is he's inviting the world, he's inviting you and me into this, this another whole world where we go, so that's what the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, thinks of me. The one that sits on the throne says to you, 
and says to me that you have value, that you have worth. If we look at our Bibles uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, he shows us uh, this picture of Christmas maybe from a little bit different perspective, from heaven's perspective. And he says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And of course, he goes on to tell us that not everyone accepted uh, him, not everyone received him, especially his own. But then he goes on to write this. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's who we are. Children of God, his children. And that's huge. And then in verse 13, check this out. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So friends, this is not just a story about a baby that uh, is being born. This is a story about God making a declaration over you. He's saying that he loves you, that you have so much value and so much worth to him that he would sacrifice his own son to give you that worth. And that's why the Christmas story goes way beyond this cute story of a baby being born in in a manger. The point in time where it says that he appeared, that point in time became the epic turning point in this world. When a world that long lay in sin and error pining, when it felt its worth. It's when God declared that we have worth. It's the beginning execution of man's rescue. John goes on to say in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us to experience what we experience, to know what, what, what it's like to live on an earth. I mean, he was born into a per- not nice place. You know, we have all lots of conveniences here. They didn't have a lot of conveniences. And so he came across things in his, his world of living on earth. He had friends. He had people who didn't like him. He had people that hated him. He had people that encouraged him. He had people that tore him down. Those things that we feel and experience ourselves. And he goes on and says, we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You cannot tell me that you don't have value and worth to God. He didn't need to do this, did he? No, he did it out of his good pleasure, out of his desire. You you can do a little word study through the the Bible, the New Testament, look up the word pleasure and just see the pleasure that God has um, over us out of his heart. I'm going to have Nick come up here and uh, we're going to kind of close this up here. So what's our response? What if this Christmas you allowed yourself to hear the voice of God singing over you and speaking worth into your soul? Not that thing that plays in your mind telling you lies, but what if this Christmas you really allowed yourself to hear how much God loves you. What if this Christmas you heard the Christmas story, not so much about a baby being born in a manger in a small town over, you know, 2,000 years ago, but what if you heard the story of God speaking worth 
over humanity and over you. Declaring it in the loudest way that he could declare it. By entering into our world. And as the song said, it's in Jesus' birth that he declares our soul's worth. And what if this season, maybe for the very first time, you allowed yourself to receive this gift without thinking there's, for some reason, there is a message somewhere else that says that you're not eligible for this. Or as you read through your Bible, that there's a footnote in the Bible that goes, this is true for you. This is true for everybody else except for you. Can I challenge you this week not to let this go? No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what that tape says that you hear, and you're fighting it right now. I know some of you are fighting this. And you're, you don't believe that you have. You don't believe that you have worth. You don't believe that God loves you as much as he does. You can't grasp this idea that God came down to earth as man and he came to die because you have worth, because you are beautiful in his sight. And you have other people in your life that say that you're not, that you don't. But your creator who knew you before you were born, before you were formed in your mother's womb, is telling you that you have worth. And I want you to to think about that. Thank God for that. Jesus wants to each of us teach us how to walk in our worth. And the first step is believing in the worth that he has given you. And that's how you begin to, to walk in it. And finally, how about we worship together? How about we sing this song together? And uh, Nick's going to bring it to us in just a moment. And I just want to make a suggestion to you uh, with no expectation, no judgment on your spiritual status, but if you feel like falling on your knees in, in, in adoration and praise to the one who gives you worth, then I just want to encourage you, go for it. Just go for it. He loves you. You are full of worth. You are full of worth. Let's sing.